Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. That's right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Waggle Podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and by me, Donovan Bennett. And it is a jam-packed episode because it is a jammed-packed month, the month of June is important for a lot of reasons it is pride and we are celebrating loudly all over the country but it's also indigenous history month and we are celebrating and recognizing and acknowledging that as well in this podcast and we'll do that in a couple ways it's gonna be an alberta focused pod john cornis is going to join us the former stampeder and hall of famer is going to talk about inclusion in the locker room what that looks like how we can continue to make football in the cfl a safe space for everyone who's a part of the LGBTQ2S plus community. And to that end, and speaking of community, we're going to talk about the name change of the Edmonton football team, now the Edmonton Elks, and the history behind it and why it was so important. We're going to do that with Morley Scott. And there's been a lot of change in Edmonton, not just to the name of the team, but who's leading the team and what the team is going to look like on the field. So we're going to have that conversation as well. And these are conversations that really shouldn't just happen in a month. They should happen year round. And to that end, we're going to double down and have another conversation later this week, a waggle extra, if you will. And that will be with Natan Obed, who is one of the leading voices for all Inuit in Canada. And we'll talk to him about the Indigenous experience and what that is like and what that really should be like and how we can move towards that, but also specifically why changing the name of a football team, something that is somewhat symbolic, is very important speaking of symbols and having tough conversations finally we're having some of these tough conversations that are overdue sadly because of the 215 children that lost their lives at the site of a residential school and so Natan is going to put all of that into context for us so that is going to be an episode that comes up later this week but up next on this episode Morley Scott And without further ado on the Waggle podcast, we have to get to the team that maybe has gone through the most change over the course of the last two off-seasons. And let's start right there. What has this 18-month-ish period been like of constant, it seems like, change within the organization? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting. The team's gone, uh, Donovan, through uh, what they've had two names now, three names if you count Edmonton Football Club. Uh, they've had uh, two, three head coaches since they last played. Uh, their president came on board just before the end of the the 2019 season, so uh, he's a change as well. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of constant. You go on the field. And that's a big change. There's been a lot of players who have uh, who have moved in and moved out from the roster for the Elks. So yeah, it's been it's been a, a, a very different 18 months in Edmonton for football fans because uh, there has been an awful lot of change moving forward. And I imagine there still will be some as we get set to move forward into the 2021 season. Let's talk about the roster and its construction. Uh, you know, normally in the offseason, you're trying to figure out what your needs are, but there hasn't been football played for so long. It's really tough to evaluate, you know, where the franchise is. For people who've kind of checked out and now are checking back in as the season is getting closer, where does this roster stand and compare to the one that we saw a couple of years ago? 
I think they've made upgrades in, in especially the one position where they really needed to upgrade. That was in the defensive backfield. They brought back Aaron Grimes uh, since they last played. They've signed uh, Jonathan Mincy. Jonathan Rose has also uh, joined the team in the defensive backfield. Uh, they still have uh, Jordan Hoover at safety, and, and Forrest Hightower is returning as well. But that's where they've made the most changes at, at, at on, the, on the deep side of the defensive uh, side of the ball because in the defensive backfield and at linebacker, there's going to be some changes as well. They, you know, uh, they've gone through the two years of, of signing guys in free agency and uh, uh, Justin Tuggle never ended up playing a game uh, for the double E. He has moved on and uh, they got to find out who's going to play middle linebacker this year. And uh, that is the biggest changes for the team, I think, are, are on defense, uh, in the defensive backfield and at the linebacker spots. When you think of the Edmonton organization over time, one of the constants is great coaches, legendary coaches. And now you've got a new one, Jamie Elizondo. What are the early impressions of him and how will this roster be shaped around his style and his football philosophy? Well, I think the roster, Donovan, was kind of already shaped around his style and his football philosophy because Trevor Harris is the quarterback. Greg Ellingson is one of the receivers, and, and he worked with those two guys a lot in Ottawa. Uh, he helped uh, them to great success in Ottawa. Uh, the thing about uh, Elizondo that I found so far in talking to him, uh, very detailed, very smart, like most head coaches are, very detailed. Uh, he's also been very patient. I mean, he's been waiting for a chance to be a head coach for a long time. Uh, got uh, got turned down when he wanted to uh, interview for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders job uh, when he was uh, under contract with Ottawa. And, and, and then he left Ottawa and went to, to the XFL. And then Edmonton wanted to talk to him uh, the first time around after Jason Moss was fired. And they were denied permission to talk to him by the XFL. So it, it kind of looked like it just wasn't going to happen. And uh, he tells a great story about driving to work in San Diego one day. And he was actually in the morning thinking about the fact that his football coaching career might be over. He's he's working uh, in the business world at the po- at this time, and he ended up calling his sister. He said, I needed a pep talk, so I called my sister, and he got a pep talk from his sister, and she said, you never know when the phone's going to ring, so you got to be ready and take that opportunity. A couple hours later, his phone rang, and it was Scott Milanovich telling him, hey, I just put my resignation in, and the job's open again. You better get in uh, contact with Brock or, or wait for a phone call from Brock because uh, they have a relationship from their time in Ottawa, and... And uh, it's gone full circle for Jamie, and he's now a head coach in the Canadian Football League and, and dare I say, very ready for it after probably 20 years of prepping for it. It is funny how life comes full circle, and your football life uh, can come full circle. Let's talk about the change in the name. It's somewhat fresh. Elks, what has the response been Uh, to the name locally because really that's what matters and what's important and what have you heard around the methodology of how they landed on this name well it goes back to 1922 when uh, the edmonton rugby team changed their name to the edmonton elks and ended up playing for the great cup that year so the name elks is already in the history of the edmonton football team uh moving forward it was it was one of the front runners right from the start 10 months ago when they announced they were retiring the old name that was the name that popped up Uh, a lot of discussion has come around whether it should be elk or elks Uh, uh, the team did a lot of talking with uh, language experts including the oxford dictionary people and and a linguist Uh, at the University of Alberta and they found that Elks is perfectly acceptable. Uh, Some people don't like that aspect of it. Some people do. I do. It's going to be easier on the call, I think, when when you say Elks instead of Elk. Um, But uh, it's been 
pretty well accepted, I think. I think they hit a home run with the logo. Uh, re people really like the logo. They really seem to like the antlers aspect of the logo. Their antlers are going to be on the helmet. They've got uh, a lot of merchandise, t-shirts and, and hats with antlers on it, and it, it looks pretty cool. And word I heard, the first couple of days that they were for sale on uh, on the team's website, uh, they were selling out of stuff. People were really jumping on board with Elks gear and uh, and getting, getting a piece of it. So uh, it's been pretty well accepted. I, I found... When I posted some pictures from the event on Tuesday morning, uh, when I posted some pictures on Twitter, uh, overwhelmingly uh, people liked it. Uh, loved the name, loved the logo, loved the, the secondary logos and everything that goes with it. Later in the day, we got some, some negative feedback on it, but I think that was to be expected. I know the football team was prepared for that, and they, they felt that you know a, a third of the people were going to love it, a third of the people were not going to like it, and a third of the people, they're going to have to win over. So uh, I think so far it's, it's been a pretty good success. I think they hit a home run. The logo looks great. It's clean. It's neat. It stands out. And they can do so many more things with it marketing-wise. I mean, the double E is a great iconic logo and has great history behind it, but there's only so much you can do with two E's, right? Now you got you have the antlers, uh, you got the elk head, you can you can kind of branch off and do some more marketing with that. See, I w just assumed that the double E was here to stay, and that wouldn't change because the franchise has so much history. Uh, and so I was a little surprised to see uh, the antler. I'm not going to lie, not that anyone cares what I was hoping for, but I was hoping for Empire. I thought that would have been really nice. But similar to maybe some of the conversation of the Washington football team in the NFL, I wouldn't have been upset if it, it just was the Edmonton football team, uh, you know, similar to soccer. Were there any other names in the running that, that people really, really uh, were pushing for? Energy was a big one around here. Energy and uh, oh. Express. I, I liked Express to start with, um, uh, with with the train and the logo and stuff like that. But uh, it it was, uh, I think it made it to the top 10, I heard, but not to the final seven that they announced. Uh, Energy was also a, a big one, naturally, that ties in with, uh, with the livelihood of so many Albertans, right, in, in the energy field. So that was a big one. But uh, they said they just kept coming back to Elk, and Elk ended up being, in their research, the number one name or the number two name through all demographics, either male or female, through all demographics, Elks or Elk was always one or two for people uh, in names they liked. And that's that's why they landed on it. And then they went to work on, on the design and the logo. And as I said earlier, I think it just turned out spectacular. Now, for a long time, there was not necessarily consensus on whether or not a name change was necessary. Now that the name has changed, has that feeling changed? Is there more unanimity around the fact that the name should change and, and that this maybe is a better spot for the club moving forward? Yeah, I, th I think most people are on board with the change now. Even a lot of people who, who took a while to come around aren't. I, but you, there is still that hardcore group of people out there who like the old name and have and are saying that they're not going to support the new name and they're not going to support the team because they changed the name and that is their right but i think most people believe that it was absolutely the right move to make in the times that we're in uh and the thing i like best about the changing of the name 
is the fact that it, it, it takes it off the table, right? I mean, every year the team had to deal with some news story would come out that, that some politician or somebody said they should change their name, and then the team had to, to deal with it. Uh, you know, it, I mean, at the Grey Cup in Winnipeg in 2015, it, it became a pretty uh, a prominent story for a while. And, and even the mayor of Edmonton has spoke out about it a couple of times. And, and every time that happened, or every time... Another team somewhere else said they were going to change their name. Uh, somebody said, well, let's check with Edmonton and see what they're doing with their name. And and uh, for me, the best part about it is they don't have to deal with it on a yearly basis anymore because there was always a stretch every season for one or two weeks that there was a, just a ton of stories coming out about what are you going to do about your name. You know, we're having certainly in this moment, and hopefully it's more prolonged, the conversation about uh, indigenous rights indigenous respect certainly in the wake of the finding of the 215 uh, children that were buried in Kamloops at the site of a residential school in Edmonton there was already a conversation about uh, respect for indigenous people given you know some of the abuse that Ethan Bear uh, was subject to. What was the response locally around uh, that incident and really finding ways to support him in in the community more broadly uh, through that incident? There was so much support. I mean, uh, uh, on the Twitter world and and, and in uh, social media's universe, there was just a ton of support for Ethan Bear when it happened. Of course, it all happened on social media as well, which uh, I think we saw the good and the bad of social media during that week. But there was a ton of support, and it and it kind of culminated with uh, they had a, a, a drive-by rally. Uh, we've seen during these times of COVID with a lot of drive-by birthday parties that people have had for kids with uh, everything, you know, horns honking and fire trucks and everything like that. They had, had kind of something similar for Ethan Bear to show support for him as well. So the support is there, and, and I think it, it that incident kind of drove it uh, drove it forward how important it was for the football team to change their name moving forward because does it really matter how many people it offends? If it offends one group of people, uh, it, it should get fixed, right? Uh, it's a football team. We're here to have fun. We're here to watch football. We're here to play. Uh, it, it shouldn't be something that, that disturbs people. And we had a caller on our sports talk show uh, this week after the new name was announced, and it was an Indigenous woman who phoned in, and she just wanted to thank the team for changing their name. And the more she talked, she started to cry, and she was just so relieved that it was over and uh, that uh, everybody can move on to the next chapter. It was, just a, it was just a wonderful moment to hear her talk about how much it meant to her as an Indigenous person for the team to change their name. And, and I think uh, I think it's it's really... It's, it's really become more accepted now than it was 10 months ago when it was first announced that they were going to retire the old name. So in Edmonton, you know, I think the operative word you used was support, right? There's such strong, feverish support for, you know, the local franchises and, you know, the Oilers and the Elks now uh, uh, specifically. It, 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 I noticed Elks easily rolls off the tongue for you. I have to remind myself uh, to say the new name, um, but but it's a new habit. Let's talk about those teams because there certainly was some heartbreak after high expectations this spring with the Oilers. If you had to prognosticate, uh, which team is back at a championship level in the city of champions first, the hockey club or the football organization? Well, you know, I think despite the fact they went out in four straight in the first round, I think the hockey club is very, very close to being at a championship level. Um, they're just having issues of getting over the hump in in that first round. 
I, they're clearly talented. They need to add some, what's the phrase they like to use in hockey? They need to add some sandpaper. They need to be a little bit more aggressive. They need to be bigger. They need to have a little bit more playoff experience in the lineup. Although all that didn't help in your neck of the woods in Toronto where the Maple Leafs <laughs> added all that and pretty much suffered the same fate in round one, only they got to play three more games. So uh, it's it's a crapshoot when it comes to making making moves like that for hockey teams. But I, I think the Oilers are very close, and they're going to be a team in that conversation, I think, uh, for the next four or five years. Uh, their core group of guys are, are 25, 24, 26 years old, and I think they're, they're set if they get a goaltender that can that can be in a younger age group and play as well as Mike Smith played this past year until the playoffs, I mean, he had a great year, but he's 39. He's going to come back. I don't know if you can expect a, a 40-year-old Mike Smith to have the same kind of year as a 39-year-old. Uh, on the other hand, I think uh, the football team is ready to emerge as well. I mean, they have put together a, a pretty decent team, and I know uh, Trevor Harris uh, is very anxious to get back on the field, very anxious uh, uh, to, to win something. He's been around for a long time. He was a backup to Henry Burris at a Grey Cup where he won it. He got to a Grey Cup as a starting quarterback against Calgary but didn't win it. And I think he's very anxious to prove that he can be uh, a Grey Cup winning quarterback. He's he's moved in, in my mind, he's moved into that elite category of quarterbacks. He's he's mentioned with Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell as as the best in the league. Uh, he's in that category now. Now he's got to win a championship uh, to kind of prove that he can stay in that category. Uh, he's got some great receivers with the return of Darrell Walker. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this offense. Throwing James Wilder Jr. coming out of retirement to play. Uh, I think that, uh, that this team can really put up some great numbers offensively. Uh, the defense looks solid. They made the changes where they need to make the changes. They've, they've added some key guys on defense as well. Uh, I think it's 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 going to be a good football season in Edmonton this year. Uh, the Elks made a lot of really good moves, and I think they're going to be a team uh, to contend with uh, moving into the next couple of years. Uh, and and I don't even think there's going to be any any time to get used to that uh, the new scheme of the coach because, I mean, Jamie Elizondo's offensive scheme, very familiar with Trevor Harris. And if the quarterback grasps it, everybody else will grasp it pretty quickly after that. So in your estimation, is this team in a better position starting training camp, however long training camp will be, in 2021 than they were in 2020 or would have been in 2020 if there was uh, I think so uh you know it, it's kind of unfair to look at uh, to, to, to think about that because you, you never got a chance to see any of the 2020 team on the field you never got a chance to see Scott Milanovic in action as a head coach uh, and obviously you would have to give him the nod over over Jamie Elizondo who's a head coach for the first time Milanovic is is proven and is uh, is a great is a great uh, head coach in, in this league he would have been in this league uh, he was and he would have been so uh, it's it's hard to compare the two they've had some players that that signed for a year in 2020 that ended up not playing here at all and won't play here at all but I, th I think 2021 will be uh, as good if not better than the 2019 team uh, we saw in the field which at times struggled but got better as the season went along I expect them to uh, to be a, a better team record wise moving forward and it, it's hard to say because there's been so much change around the league it's hard to say who uh, is going to be good and who's going to be improved but I think the Elks will be in a position to to challenge for first or second place in the West to be able to get on the field and compete obviously the country has to be in a good spot in relation to competing against the COVID-19 uh, you know pandemic and you know vaccinations it, 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 most people 
are really hyper-focused on how their numbers are locally in their communities. So for those not in Edmonton or Alberta, you know, take us into how things are uh, in the province. When the NHL bubble was uh, in Alberta last year, it seemed like uh, Edmonton may have been the safest place in, in the country. But obviously, we know it's been a long time since then, and, and things have changed. What is the the handle and the feeling, really, in terms of the fight against the virus in Edmonton right now? Alberta has been uh, there's been a wild swing here in the last month. I mean, three weeks to a month ago, this was the worst place to be in North America. I mean, Alberta was worse than Florida, for goodness sakes, per capita uh, for positive tests. So uh, it was a bad place to be, and it was spreading fast. We had a a positivity rate on tests. I believe it got up to 12 or 13% at one point. We were at around 2,000 people per day testing positive. I think yesterday there was 200 people who tested positive. Uh, they've got that down now over the last uh, last three weeks, and it's down under a thousand pretty much every day. It's been down as low as in the 200s a couple of times, but for the most part, the the last week or so, it's been around 400 per day, which is uh, a far cry from where they were a month ago. So uh, we we've gone here from being the worst place in North America to being the first province that will be opened up and will be opened up completely and that could be done with uh, no restrictions by June 28th if everything goes as planned uh, it's going to depend on uh, getting uh, getting vaccinations in the arms of 70% of Albertans the first uh, the first dose and when they hit 70% uh, they're going to be able to open up the province uh, completely with no restrictions and they say that could happen as early as June 28th so we're certainly on the right track if everybody continues to do the right thing which is you know, social distance, wear the mask, wash your hands, do all that stuff. But more, most important and, and more important than anything else is to get that vaccine. And that, I'm sure, is the case right across the country. When I look at the West, there's a, basically a long list. Everyone uh, out West who feels like they should be a championship contender. It's funny. We are, you know, two seasons removed uh, in a way from, uh, you know, the last time we were competing for a great cup. But some things don't change in the West is still very, very difficult. When you look at Edmonton in relation to the other teams, not just in the province with the Stampeders, but in the West in general, you know, how do you see them stacking up with the competition? I think they can challenge. I think they'll challenge for first or second place. It's it's hard to get a handle on, on who can do what because there's been so many changes and it's been so long since we've seen players play. And, and you got to wonder, Donovan, how players are going to come back. Uh, there's going to be some players who are going to be in the best shape of their lives and their bodies are going to feel rejuvenated. And there are some players who aren't going to be in good enough shape when play resumes because they've been off for uh, a season and, and almost, you know, by about a year and a half between practices. So, uh I think it, that's going to that's going to weigh a, 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 how teams will finish how they will play just depending on how the players respond on on each team because it's going to be interesting to watch those especially the veteran players come back those guys who are at the tail end of their careers does the year off give them an extra step and does it you know give them some rejuvenation because they didn't play last year or did a year off help them lose another step and they fall back a little bit further that to me is going to be one of the very interesting things uh, to watch this year as uh, as play resumes where where those older players are and then where the younger players go there's been a lot of you know there'll be some rookies who didn't play in in uh, u sports last year trying to make teams they haven't played in a year uh what will special teams be like for some teams because of that it's uh there's so many question marks uh, going forward about how teams will look and how teams will be able to play moving forward well i'm looking forward to hearing if uh, the year off gave your play-by-play 
play voice a little bit of an extra step now that you're able to to save some great calls um, and we'll have even more enthusiasm and exuberance when you're in the booth but you, you still have had that on the e-podcast so you know people if they're looking to follow what you're up to please follow on instagram on twitter at morally underscore scott and uh if they want to listen at 6 30 c-h-e-d thank you for sharing that insight and uh that voice that's had some rest uh with us on the waggle podcast yeah my pleasure I'm, i tell you what donovan being at the stadium uh this week for the announcement the unveiling and, and talking football and seeing some football people got me real excited i, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we all get back to the ballpark and are watching games it's, it's going to be fantastic i can't wait yeah i can't wait can't come fast enough thank you so much uh we're looking forward to it as well thank you anytime good to talk to you And now we have the pleasure to be joined on the Waggle podcast, a Hall of Famer, a, a, a goat among our presidents, the living legend, John Cornish. And John, thank you for, for taking the time. And, you know, you know, I guess now during the pandemic, we all have a little bit more time, but you're still one of the busiest humans that I certainly follow uh, on, on social media. What has this period of time been like for you uh, during the pandemic? Uh, it's it's been pretty easy. I've been really enjoying myself. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people had troubles, but we had no kids, so so my wife and I we, we've really enjoyed ourselves. We've gotten our business off the ground. We've gotten our nonprofit off the ground, um, and, and uh, I, I would actually say the only thing that's been missing has actually been sports. I don't really watch any sports other than CFL football. Um, I'm sorry uh, that it, we didn't get a season last year, but really looking forward to uh, getting back out on the field this year. Yeah, no question. I think we all agree we'd love to see some CFL football. We did see some NCAA football, and we saw some great Canadians following in your footsteps of making a mark in power conferences and the NCAA, and literally they're following in your footsteps. And at this point, we have a, an award named after you, the Cornish Trophy. What does that mean to you that you are the, the signifying person that people are adorned with this honor and literally the quality and depth of players that are up for the honor this year must be pretty impressive yeah it's yeah i'm still humbled by by being named as the uh, as the 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 trophy name holder but you know honestly you know going back to high school um there was uh, you know sort of an issue that came up as i was you know coming through grade 12 i had statistic lead in in offense statistic lead in in, in uh, defense and then and then it was like okay well we'll just make a new trophy so so the idea that of new trophies being associated with me it goes back a long way but at the same time like you know it's 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 a huge honor and, and i i think it really does a good job at what it's intended to do bring a spotlight onto all the great canadian talent we have and, and have been sending down to the states i mean for me um you know having gone down there uh you know leading uh, leading the big 12 in rushing you know f finishing fifth in the nation in rushing setting school records and, and stuff and then really not having any communication from any media outlet in canada you, you know it it was 
it was weird um and, and now we get to bring attention to these guys a guy like you know chuba hubbard would have gotten uh, attention probably regardless um but you know to to highlight a guy like him highlight the the the, the winners that have come through uh, i know nathan rourke two-time winner it's it's been it's been really cool to get these guys the highlighting that they deserve um from canadian media You've been highlighting a lot of things. You know, you've certainly been uh, an advocate, um, you know, in terms of the advancement of black people in our country and specifically in Alberta and Calgary. You've also not just been a champion on the field, you've championed other causes. And I, it is uh, Pride Month as we are celebrating and recognizing and acknowledging. And what do you think in terms of a role that sport and specifically football can play in making sure that we're advancing and having these conversations about human rights. Yeah, back when I was playing, I got involved with You Can Play, um, a great organization, um, and we, we just wanted to make safe locker rooms. There was a question in 2012, will our locker rooms be safe? For, for gay people uh, or, or you know anything else uh, and and I thought in 2012 no they were not safe um, but when we uh, when we're sort of now uh, and we sort of have a generation of talent coming up who has been through um, equality and LGBTQ rights and and all these different things um, you, you know we are in a different space now so I, I really look forward to actually having uh, you know a, a guy make a team who who is uh, you know something on a spectrum of sexuality i mean i, I think there's a lot of ways um uh, you know there have been trendsetters um but i look forward to the next guy just coming in playing football and you know going home to his his partner and you know just li living a normal life and and i think that's a, a place you know football uh, especially cfl is already doing a great job but when it comes to uh, black rights, it, it's actually funny. Um, when I was in Kansas, um, there was two shower rooms, one exclusively for the use of white people and one exclusively for the use of black people. Um, I think we had a Tongan on the team. He, he used the black shower. Um, it, it, the, that kind of differentiation, um, you know, that was something I only really saw in Kansas. When I came up to Calgary, you know, like everybody was cool. There wasn't really any racism or anything like that in the locker rooms. Um, it, I actually only noticed any racism in, in the world, really, once I left the football locker room. Um, you know, I was working at, at, a, at a big bank and, you know, that was, that was all good. But it was once I retired and, and really got into the office workplace that I, that I saw that, you know, one, there's not many black people uh, working downtown Calgary. And two, um, that, you know, the black people that do work downtown in Calgary, they all, every single one of them has a story about how somebody called them intimidating. Somebody, um, you know, told them to chill out because they were getting so mad or, or just these, these kinds of things that sort of go with that, uh, that racial stereotyping of black people. So that's why I ended up putting together the Calgary Black Chambers, really just ran up to well-dressed black people on the street. Um, you know, told him my name, and, and I think that uh, helped it out a little bit. But we ended up putting our first meeting together. We had about 45 people there. Since, uh, you know, our official membership, uh, people actually paying for our existence and, and our, uh, our scholarships at 40. We have 40, um, oh, sorry, 400 uh, participants in the group. So it's, it's, been, it's been pretty cool. We've set up 15 scholarships 
uh, for black students here in Calgary. And, uh, you know, we, we finished our first year of our mentorship program where we had 44 kids from the Father Lacombe School uh, go through. Uh, that was just a pilot program. We'll be expanding that as well um, to four additional Catholic school um, uh, uh, Catholic schools here in Calgary. Um, so, so really trying to focus on mentorship, both of, of black kids and, and all kids, really trying to help them sort of bridge the gap between, you know, wherever they are right now and wherever they want to get to. So there's so much there uh, that I want to follow up on, but I'm going to go back a little bit just to make sure that our listeners who especially are a bit younger, maybe didn't see you or appreciate you in the prime of your career, understand what we're talking about. You said when you were at Kansas, there were two separate showers for black players and white players. You left Kansas in 2006, entered the league in 2007. So we're not talking about that long ago, are we? No, it's, it's, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't so much racist as like something that would just, it wasn't even structural. It was just the way it was. And, and I mean, obviously you had people from the, the deep south of the U.S., uh, people from all over. Um, but that kind of differentiation was just, it was there when I got to Kansas in 2002, and it was there when I left in 2006. So I'm, I, I can't account for it. There's no coach saying this is how it has to be. It's just the way it ended up manifesting. You mentioned that's just the way it is. Well, right now, it's just the way it is that we don't have an active um, gay or bi or non-binary p- player in the, in the league. Um, but we know, based off of any census data that you look at, law of averages is that you probably played with a player or players that are gay. There are probably many uh, in the league now that are gay but don't feel comfortable Coming up, what do you think some of the structural, non-structural things we can tear down, eradicate, so that players do feel more comfortable uh, being their authentic selves while being professional athletes? You, you know, I, I would say uh, professional leagues have uh, really taken big steps, but I would actually say it's it's most likely the high school level where people would first be getting into football that there would be the issues arising where you have coaches or potentially other players who would make the locker room unsafe for for a gay player and then it actually removes removes the sport of football from their consideration so in my mind i think uh you know it's systemic we need to make sure that we have you know safe locker rooms in college I think that's already sort of the case, but really, really working on making all of our high schools safe for all participants at all levels. I think that's something happening currently, but it's not something that the professional ranks will really see the, the results from for another five to 10 years. This is something that you know, a lot of people are aware of, but few people feel conviction around speaking about publicly. Why do you? Why, why do you feel able in in willing uh, to to speak on these issues i think it's i think it's your your need as a human being um i i consider the the idea of noblesse oblige right like if you have the power to do something and you don't do anything then it's your fault that happened right so so for me like i go out into the community i give my time back because my mom taught me um, very, like I've probably told this story a million times, but you know, walking into a mall, I was like six or seven years old around Christmas time. This is actually my first TV interview. I get uh, stopped by a CTV interviewer with uh, my mom, and she asked me, um, "You know, l- little boy, what would you want for Christmas?" 
And I mentioned some Lego set that I was really looking forward to. I actually got two of those Lego sets. That's how much I wanted them. But um, I ended up, I mentioned the Lego set. And then afterwards, my mom was like, you know, if anybody ever asks you that question again, you say world peace. You know, my mom was, she was a priest. I grew up in the church, uh, working in the soup kitchen, um, you know, working downtown east side Vancouver when I was in Kansas. I worked Habitat for Humanity, which I still say is one of the greatest um, contributions that I've made to humankind is that we built houses for people. Um, it, I think a lot of people um, sort of believe that having more stuff will make them feel good. Um, I, I, I disagree with that statement. I am a believer that the best way to feel happy is to help somebody else. And, and uh, I mean, I do, I do a lot of, uh, I'm a pretty happy guy. So I think that really comes from, from my, my willingness to just go out in the community, uh, you know, show up when, when people need you to show up and just, just lend a helping hand that you can. I, I think we all owe it to ourselves as human beings, especially coming out of COVID, helping those who have less. Your mom sounds like a remarkable woman, given the grace uh, and foresight to tell you in that moment. It is a teaching uh, moment, you know, how you should answer that question and really why. Um, you, you know, your mom is in a same gender relationship. What have you learned from her uh, about the importance of this issue? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, prior to to my mom uh, meeting meeting a woman, uh, my sister was was with a woman. She's since gone on to marry a, a man. I, I just believe that there there is no issue with who you love, right? You know, if you are a, a human being and you love another human being, you know, I, I think that's that should just be without question. You know, like I I don't really we have an old system that said you know a man loves a woman, but I mean, there's, there's nothing really that says, oh, it's natural. Like, I, I don't, I don't really buy any of that stuff. If you look across all animalia, like, uh, like penguins can be in, in same-sex relationships, right? Like, it's, it's just part of nature, and I, I truly believe that we need to get past the idea that there's some proper way of how we should exist versus, uh, you know, like just letting people uh, um, sort of love who they love. Uh, you know, I, I will I will say this about my mom. She she's a, a Queen's Diamond Jubilee recipient uh, for the work that she did in, in Richmond. Um, but I would say the number one thing that she that she taught me was just you know it's it's not it's not what you do it's it's who you help. No question. The Stampeders have really spoiled Calgarians for a long time because of their sustained success. What's the vibe currently in the city around the team moving forward after this long layoff? And, and what do you expect to see from the 2021 uh, Stampeders on the field? Well, it'll be a new team. I mean, the guys that I play with, like you know, Eric Rogers being gone, like like for me, he was one of the best players I ever played with. Um, you know, it, like th things change in, in, in football, but one, one consistent thing we've had is the Stampeders, and I, I think it's... It's, it's the example that I want the, uh, the CFL to use going forward is finding these great players like, like uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, a guy who is not worried about the money. He's worried about his love of the game, staying in Calgary, staying in one place 
and just building his life here. We need to do that as a CFL. Anyways, um, the Calgary Stampeders, I, I think, you know, it really starts at the top where you have, you know, obviously Coach Hoffnagel still around. Dave Dickinson still doing his thing. You know, that that level of consistency over, like, literally a decade now. I remember, um, you know, I played with Dave in 2009, and he's still around on the team. You know, our back office staff, still very similar. Our training staff, very similar. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the moving parts, like the actual players on the field of the Stampeders can change. Um, but I, I really do feel because we start from that consistency in the back office, in the training room, you know, it, it, it bleeds out onto the field. So when, when players go out on the field, they're always going to be a stampeder by the time they get the chance to play. And I think that's why we've had so much consistency. Look, looking into the future, though, I, I think it's it's hard. I, I mean, for me, you know, not being able to play a year of football while you're still playing football, like, you know, if you retire and come back, that's, that's pretty difficult to overcome. So I, I, I really think there's going to be possibly a reshuffling. Um, of, of who's who in, in the CFL. Um, you know, you may see some former star players like just not, not really get back to their, their star form. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I'm, I'm a Stampeder at heart. I'm still, you know, on the payroll of the Calgary Stampeders. So I, I, <laughs> as an ambassador for the team, you know, I, I very much look forward to them, you know, getting back on the field. I mean, I, Labor Day ain't Labor Day without Calgary versus Edmonton. No question. So I'm really ho- hoping we we can get that going and uh, sort of have that. That would be the true mark of return to normal. No question. Looking forward to it. You are an ambassador of of many things, and so uh, before I let you go, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't allow you to plug some of the important work, some of the philanthropic things, some of the charities that you're involved with that you love. Uh, who and where should people be supporting and how can they get involved as well? I mean, obviously, my, my, my baby, the Calgary Black Chambers. We have a uh, donation link on the website. You can just go there, throw money into a scholarship that would go 100% directly to a, a, a Calgary student um, working to, uh, you know, change, change Calgary. And I think we have um, a, number of, uh, a number of private donors who have helped massively. Uh, we also get corporate support. So, so any any kind of help uh, there works. CalgaryBlackChambers.ca, um, and then we and we have uh, you know I've always been working with the Children's Hospital. Got, I mean you know kids actually have have gotten through this this whole thing. You know they've been dealing with their problems, but the Calgary. Uh, um, the Alberta Children's Hospital does have a mental health ward here in, in, in Calgary that is getting geared up and stuff. That's another great place to uh, put money. I remember when I was volunteering at the Children's Hospital, I had um, the opportunity to go down into the basement. Down into the basement is where they formerly kept their uh, their mental health patients. And, and to have a, a dedicated facility where they can go in, whether they get, they get day treatment or, or they're there for, for a longer stay, you know, that that's the kind of help that these people need. And I, th- I think any help you can provide that direction. And then obviously plug in my business. I am an investment advisor. Uh, you know, I, I my, my wife, I, I like to think, you know, we, we enjoy one of the best jobs in the world because we get to help people every day. You know, after I started working for RBC, you know, it's it's been just a, a pleasure to put all my years of experience to use. And, and all we do is help, uh, you know, sort of families help their uh, help, you know, reach their goals. You know, and my wife and I work together. So it's families helping families. 
So, so yeah, I think across the board, you know, my, my whole objective in life is just to be of service and, and to help. And uh, I uh, very much looking forward to my, my probably my, my, my number one thing, you know, cheering, cheering the Stampeders on, on the sidelines uh, on game days. I would very much look forward to uh, getting back to that. <laughs> we would look forward to seeing that as well and thank you uh, for doing us this great service always love your perspective and your candor uh, so stay healthy and stay helping others thank you so much John yeah thanks for having me on Donovan and thanks once again to John Cornish uh, and make sure to Log on calgaryblackchambers.ca to see what he's up to and see how you can support his fellowship, his mentorship, his scholarship, his advocacy. He's doing so much good work across the board. And I'm going to brag a little bit. So are we. CFL.ca is on fire right now. And there's some good stuff coming up down the pike. So I just want to preview that quickly. Riders fans, and there are many of you, go on the website. There's a video preview of your team and an article breaking down the depth chart for this year. Tomorrow, Argos fans, we're not forgetting about you. We're going to do the same thing with your ball club. And there's so many fascinating conversation pieces about who is going to start where and what is that situation going to look like? What is their linebacker depth chart going to look like alone? Make sure you go to cfl.ca to see that. Now, yes, I know, Alberta, this podcast is for you. So, yeah, we got some content on the website coming for you as well. On Friday, Chris O'Leary, uh, who has spent some time uh, in uh, Alberta, he's previewing Edmonton special teams. Following up that, you know, another week's time, Pat Steinberg is previewing Calgary special teams. And stick around, make sure to tap into the website throughout the month because at the end of June-ish, no promises, but around the end of June, you were going to have previews, both video and depth chart of both the Alberta teams. So stick around for that. Next week as well, we're going to have previews on the Battle of the Golden Horseshoe. Not exactly Ontario. We want to give love to the Red Blacks fans as well. But the two teams on the other side of the QEW, the Argonauts and the Tiger Cats, that's next week on the Waggle. Always. No matter when it is, you can find all of this good stuff via our social media. CFL is the handle on Instagram, on Twitter. You can also give us a follow on Facebook for those of you who are still on Facebook. But most importantly, you all are listening to a podcast, clearly. So make sure to share it with your friends. And while you're on your phone, like, favorite Give us five stars. Really would appreciate it because we do this for you. And give us some feedback. At Donovan Bennett is my my handle obviously as you know at cfl is the handle get in our mentions or leave a comment on this very podcast let us know who you want to hear from and what you want to hear we're going to continue to go through team by team region by region with some previews so stay locked to this space for more cfl content thanks so much for listening the waggle the official podcast of the canadian football league